0: Welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 87. I'm Kip Clark.
1: And I'm Caroline Borders.
0: Today, we're going to be reacting to a commencement speech given by Jim Carrey in 2014 to the Maharashtra University of Management. Caroline, I know you had an opening question for me before we even get into what was discussed in the commencement speech.
1: Well, in the past, Kip, you've asked me to react to other commencement addresses. And at this point, it started to strike me as a little amusing. What I want to ask is, why do you like commencement addresses?
0: Well, it's a good question to ask. And if I had to distill my thinking, I feel like as a society, we rarely express or share in any kind of communications of wisdom or what we've learned. There are theses for students. There are sentimental moments with family members maybe during a loved one's passing or another very emotional moment where you might hear a very emotional or wise truth about the human experience. There are books that some of us read which really resonate with us, but rarely do they feel as monumental or maybe as public is the word I'm looking for as commencement speeches do. And granted, there are speeches in general that are very powerful, the Gettysburg Address, the I Have a Dream speech, plenty of inaugural addresses or State of the Unions. But to me, perhaps especially as a college and high school student, I have felt particularly attached to the idea of a commencement address as a message given to students, because I've often questioned not that I was getting an education, but why I was getting an education. And you and I have grappled with that idea before. And to me, these speeches almost feel like a capstone reaction to how students should apply knowledge, what they should do with the past years they've spent in the classroom learning various things about themselves, about their world. And I admit that it can be a bit melodramatic or sensationalized, but admitting my bias, I think I very much buy into how emotional these can get, and oftentimes I give my attention very much over to the speaker.
1: And I think there's also an oral component to it that is really powerful. I mean, there's tons of advice books, advice columns. We've done readings from One, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it's one thing to read something like that, but it's another thing to hear the stories and the oral transmission of wisdom and advice imparted upon people in a liminal stage in their lives. And I agree with you. I think that's powerful. Personally, I think it's rare that commencement addresses are unique, and sometimes it's a lot of repeating the same cliche, tried and true advice. But this one, Jim Carrey's, is unique in a certain way. I'm excited to talk about it.
0: As am I, of course, in asking you to watch it. One of the first ideas that stands out to me, which is less about what he said and more about how he presented himself, is the fact that Carrey was very charismatic, but also very comedic in his delivery. And I think a lot of commencement speakers hesitate to joke about a moment so serious, but I would argue that comedians or anyone who makes jokes understands the value in lightening the mood and also laughing at ourselves at points. Because certain situations and ideas surrounding our species and the way we govern our lives are rather ridiculous at the base of things, and it's why comedians and satirists are valuable in our society.
1: And I think that's one of the reasons humor is really effective for a commencement address, because let's face it, does it have to be that serious of a moment? You've made it, you're graduated. It should be a happy moment. It should be one that you are now sitting there. All you have to do is go receive your degree. Nothing can go wrong. And at the end of the day, it's a ceremony. We're in these ridiculous robes. All the professors are wearing ridiculous hats. Jim Carrey looks ridiculous in this commencement address. And it's just a ceremony. And it's a long ceremony, so might as well make it enjoyable.
0: I agree. And I loved how he wove in both wisdom and comedy together. He makes a joke at one point about education as a tool which can help the individual distinguish between the dog in the mind that's chasing you and from which you're constantly fleeing and a dog outside the person which actually threatens to eat you, which is a comical image. But at the same time, his thesis in this address, which for me boils down to the relationship the individual has with love and fear, is a very profound and real message, and he goes about criticizing fear in particular, and the ego and various other associated phenomena, in both a very realistic and yet comical way, which I thoroughly appreciated, because oftentimes when you bombard someone with very genuine wisdom... If you don't pause, if you don't stop to breathe or to listen to their ideas, you will come across as arrogant. And perhaps at points, Kerry does. But I think he's very understanding of the forces at play. One of my favorite quotations, which we'll play a clip of here.
2: My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job. And our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love.
0: And to me, one of the most powerful lines in that quotation is the final one. And I concede that as you and I are sitting here recording a podcast, we have lived very privileged lives. So it's very easy to say, go for what you want, do what you love. We are able to live with our parents who can also provide for us and we have families and other support systems that can encourage and sustain us in times of need. And for other people, their argument might be, well, I can't do what I love. I have a family to put food on the table for. My bills need to be paid. I don't have time to paint or to act or to dance recreationally in the practical realities of our world, it isn't easy to do what you love, at least for as long as you might like to, or as often as you might enjoy. But I think at the essence of Carey's argument is that you have a choice. And if you can, on some daily level, or a few minutes out of every day, do what you love, or think about what you love, or feel what you love, you will gradually make yourself a more fulfilled person. I think he's arguing that you will fulfill others around you, And I think, as he points out, in being a comedian for 10 years before he really realized certain things about himself, you will struggle and fall, but gradually over time, if you continue to pursue what it is you truly enjoy, you have a chance to make something truly beautiful of your life. But how did you feel about some of these points that he made?
1: It's interesting that you mentioned privilege in this case because what listening to what you had to say made me think about is the idea that maybe the advice that's given is so perceived to be cliche in these commencement addresses because it's being addressed or given to people who might actually be able to achieve these kind of lofty ideas and goals. People who are college educated, who will be at the end of the ceremony and who have the ability to potentially pursue what they love and want to do because they have the ability to do it. They have the privilege necessary to achieve and maintain a lifestyle that has them doing something they love. And the main thing I thought when he was talking about if you're going to fail at something you don't want to do, might as well try do something you love. I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I'm still figuring that out. And at one point in the speech, he also says, you guys already know who you are. And I was like, do I? Absolutely not. Are all these kids nodding their head right now? And notice I use the word kids, the notion of college kids, this liminal space where we're not really adults, we're not really adolescents anymore. What are we? And it's an interesting dynamic in and addresses. A firmly established adult in whatever they're doing with their career telling these people who have no defined career path or potentially no real direction in their lives how to find that direction and potentially making assumptions about where those people are in their lives. His assumption is joyful. Oh, you know who you are. You've gone through college. This is when you find out where you are. I've heard this so many times. But the more and more people I talk about come to the end of our senior year, they have no idea who they are. They have no idea what they're doing. And being told do what you love is not encouraging. It's unrealistic, in a way.
0: That's a really interesting perspective because I have a very different view of it. I agree that it isn't always easy, and I wonder to what extent that's because of the box we live in or the culture we've created. But I really love another point and a quotation that I'm going to play a clip from now.
2: You can spend your whole life imagining ghosts, worrying about the pathway to the future, but all there will ever be is what's happening here. And the decisions we make in this moment which are based in either love or fear. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. What we really want seems impossibly out of reach and ridiculous to expect, so we never dare to ask the universe for it.
0: And as is true of my fawning over Kerry in this speech, what I really enjoyed there is his ability to simplify some of the complexities or perceived complexities in the lives we live. And I'm not saying that there are not constantly wheels in motion and factors at play that we have to consider. But on a lot of levels, I agree with him that most of our choices are out of some degree of fear or love or some form of fear or love. Getting a meal with someone because you think you will enjoy it not getting a meal with a different person because you don't think you'll have a good time, attending a certain school because you think it will get you what you want, you envision happiness, not applying to another school because it seems like something that would bring you any form of dissatisfaction. And I agree that we tend to act based on what we do or do not want, fear or love, in his rhetoric, but I especially appreciate his remark that many of us choose our paths out of fear disguised as practicality. Because, of course, you have to feed yourself to stay alive. You have to look after certain biological and personal capacities to sustain yourself. But I think most of us take that to an unfair and unrealistic level. We don't spend our free time creating because we don't think it will make us any money. And so then money becomes the determining factor in what we do or do not do. And the cliches of hating your job and having a very mundane white picket fence life, I think, come from... Our fear to make bold decisions, to risk our lives, to risk our time, doing something that may not quote-unquote pan out, but I think at the basis of his argument is the idea that you can enjoy what you do, even if it won't sustain you in practical ways, and also that you should be aware of why you're making your decisions, because I do think many of us follow certain paths that we don't truly think we'll enjoy, but we tell ourselves we will because of the safety it affords us. And I have a rather radical belief that a short and happy life is better than a long and miserable one. But I do think we live in a culture that encourages safety. And by no means am I saying to take unnecessary risks. But I think, again, what Kerry is criticizing is a system in which almost no one takes any risks. Because how could you logically convince yourself to take those risks? And he points to the ego as a psychological phenomenon that tells you You're not good enough. Don't risk it. Don't try it. Other people have done better. They're stronger, more capable, more intelligent than you are. You shouldn't try those pursuits because they aren't worth your time and they may end in your failure. And I think he has a very solid understanding of how those demons affect our choices and our lives.
1: It's funny. I was thinking about this the other day and how a lot of my choices in retrospect are sometimes made out of fear, even though I don't think about them that way at the time like staying in a relationship or staying in a relationship instead of hanging out with this person or talking to this other person because I'm in a relationship. And looking back on that, I'm thinking of a specific instance, of course, but looking back on something years later and thinking, oh, I was scared. I was scared of what would happen. That sucks to think about in retrospect. And of course, no one wants to live in fear. No one wants to make choices out of fear. But there's such a shift that goes on when someone graduates from college, that something that is thoroughly emphasized is this need for stability or security. Not saying that that's something that necessarily should be striven for, but it is definitely something that I think people look for in various ways. And I think ultimately people are just looking for validation in certain ways. And I think sometimes that means being in a place where they receive that validation, which may be the safer option, which may result out of fear. And if going back to their hometown and finding a decently paying job that's not really doing something they want to be doing, and instead they could have traveled the world, but traveling the world means that they're by themselves, everything is up in the air, and they're living day to day. And that sometimes means they're not getting validated in the same way. Maybe in traveling the world in this particular example, you are doing what you want to be doing, but that produces a number of other different fears and insecurities that didn't exist before. And while I do appreciate Carrie's simplifying of that, you know, as you said, going to dinner with this person because it'll be fun or not going to this dinner with this other person because it won't be fun. And making choices in that way, I think it just is more complex than the simple answers that often commencement addresses give. Maybe that's what I struggle with with commencement addresses. It's not addressing all sides of what's actually going on in a person's life or not. I don't know.
0: And I'm glad that you brought up validation because in later lines, he says, How will you serve the world? What do they need that your talent can provide? That's all you have to figure out. The effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. To find real peace, you have to let the armor go. Your need for acceptance can make you invisible in this world. And I particularly enjoy that last one because there are a number of people in my life that I can point to who desire validation, and arguably all of us do, but the faces I'm picturing now are so apparent because they ask for it in a very overt way. They don't live in a way which will bring them validation, they seek validation first and foremost. And when you talk about the complexity and simplicity that may not be perfectly addressed in commencement speeches, I feel like Carey does understand more deeply rooted desires and how certain phenomena around us can trick us into thinking that they will be satisfied by one path when he suggests the longer, maybe more obscure or untrodden path might bring about the true result, where the false result is more easily visible or more readily apparent to us. And I really love the line that your effect on others is the most valuable currency there is. He points to his father as a role model of his, which resonated with me in a very emotional way. I can see, at least based on his description, how his father influenced him. And I think he's following a very understandable trajectory in what would have been his father's path if he had tried to be a comedian. And I actually had a conversation about this commencement address with my father about a year ago who made the very fair point, although I felt at the time that it might have been a bit cynical that, of course, he's going to say all of this. He's Jim Carrey, and he has been very successful. How easy for him to say, this is how you reach the top of the mountain. And I absolutely understand that perspective, but I would respond by saying that I believe him in his narrative, that he did not always feel this way, and that on some level, he constructed this belief system in order to help him persevere there's an anecdote he tells, in which he started his career as an actor, and uncertain about his future, he wrote himself a check for some odd million dollars set a year away. And in that time, he was cast in Dumb and Dumber, and made that money back. And I do think that his life has been one, as he says, of letting the universe know what he wants, and working hard to get there, but also, as he very crucially states, not worrying about how that comes to pass, which I think is very key. And so I respect my father's opinion there, but I do think that Kerry isn't retroactively applying this philosophy to his life. I do genuinely think he had these feelings and beliefs before he struggled and tried to make himself a comedian, an actor, and as he says, someone who can make other people more comfortable, less anxious, and less fearful. And I think he's accomplished that goal, continues to accomplish that goal, And maybe in an unintended consequence, leads to certain college students discussing his beliefs and commencement address, which has brought me a lot of peace and thinking about his ideas, whether they are correct or not. Because as he says, life is about playing and finding your own style and being original in some of your beliefs and perspectives.
1: And that's one thing I really do agree with him. I think in graduating, one thing I'm constantly telling myself, especially because of the privilege we do have is we'll figure it out. You don't need to always have a direction where you're going. Just because you don't have stability doesn't mean you won't eventually. I think it's really important and kind of along the lines what he was saying to respond to what you enjoy, what feels good, play and figure out what you love. Maybe that doesn't mean it's something that even has a profession, but at least you will figure out slowly and you don't have to have a path to get there.
0: And along the lines of what you're saying, he talks about the reset button, the ability to change direction at any point. Don't commit too heavily to one thing because on some level, it will lead you to believe that you can only pursue that one path, and that is in many ways limiting. And as a final point that really resonated with me, he says, My soul is not contained within the limits of my body. My body is contained within the limitlessness of my soul. And at one point, he was worried about going out into the world and finding something bigger than himself, until he says someone smarter than himself made him realize that there is nothing bigger than myself. And I believe that's two words in his rhetoric the self being what one is, not necessarily Jim Carrey, but what he represents, how he's capable of influencing others. And he talks at various points about interconnectedness between people. And so I think to him, the self is all of us and everything we represent. And it may be an idealistic idea to some, but I agree with him. I think when you have an understanding of who you are and how you can contribute to the lives of others and also to yourself, you will be better in almost every sense of the word. And I think we have a reluctance to pursue that line of thinking because we've deemed it as selfish, which I find is rather unfair. But as we close the episode, what would you like the listeners to think about after listening to this discussion? And as an added question for you, would you recommend that they watch this speech? Is it worth their time?
1: I think it's absolutely worth their time. It's a really, really beautiful speech in a lot of ways. But what you're just saying about the self, I think he's talking about a lot of things in very Buddhist terms. It makes me think of something I always say to myself when something feels larger than me and I always say to myself, your happiness is in the palm of your hand, and it's a sense of control. You have the ability to alter your choices, your decisions, and that means every person has that ability as well, and the power of individual choice. In the same way, I would push back against it because I think there is a lot of things larger than us, but I agree the idea of being selfish puts a connotation on the self and being self-focused. That is one negative, but also sort of useless in certain contexts. For example, yes, if you are acting in a way that is benefiting you and affecting other people negatively, that's selfish, of course. But if it's about your personal happiness and you're doing it to the benefit of a greater goal, then there really isn't anything bigger than yourself. You can always overcome those obstacles, those challenges, and enjoy those challenges that are preventing you from truly being yourself.
0: I agree. And I would really like listeners, as it was a central point for me, to focus on the relationship between love and fear in your life. Do you even agree with that rather simplistic dichotomy? Do you notice yourself making choices of love or fear And also, as he says, do you find yourself making choices out of fear disguised as practicality? Because I would contend that we are all guilty of that and could do a lot less of it, and I think we would be better off for it. And finally, for those of you listening who do have personal philosophies, whether they are spiritual, religious, or simply principles that you tend to follow, do they fall in line with or clash with some of the ideas and beliefs that Carrie is putting forward? We would love to know. Because as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, in this case augmented by a few Jim Carrey quotations, and we would love to hear from you. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, input, or feedback of any kind, please reach out to us. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook.
1: where you can like our page and get updates when we post new episodes.
0: You can also email us via saunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with a friend you think might enjoy it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark
1: signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.